It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for June 9th, the Dads and Dogs edition. I'm Dan Coitz, I'm an editor at Slate, and I'm the dad of Harper, who is 8, and Lyra, who is 11. And I'm Allison Benedict, also an editor at Slate, and the mom of Harry, who is 7, Sam, who is 5, and Wally, who is 3. Hi, Allison. Hey, Dan. On today's show, we are going to talk about putting a family pet to sleep. And I'm going to try and get through the whole segment without crying. Also, for Father's Day, we are going to talk to Slate staffers about their dads and the things they love best about them. In our Slate Plus segment, Allison and I will tell dad stories of our own. Plus, triumphs and fails, recommendations, and we'll be joined by Dr. Robin Berman, author of Permission to Parent, to answer a listener call about whether it's okay to be scary as a parent. Allison. Tell our listeners about our Facebook page. So every episode, we ask you to like our Facebook page, and I still want you to do that. But also, those of you who already frequent the page or those of you who are liking it just now, I would like you to go to our Facebook page and tell us what we can do to make it better. Would you like to see more parenting stories from around the web on there? A Facebook Live video of Dan dispensing soda from his home soda machine. Is that what we call oh, it? Oh, yeah. What is the thing? Yeah. That's my soda Viral. Yeah. Uh, a regular place for you to ask your fellow mom and dad are fighting listeners for parenting advice, just like pictures of everyone's cute kids. Tell us. Go to Facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. Like us. And then I'm going to start a thread as soon as we are done recording the show where you can put in your comments uh, ideas for the page. All right. That's a great uh, notion. I'm going to put on there an idea that I want Allison to just do more Facebook live videos of Sam falling in the mud and her not picking him up. There's a great picture on Facebook, uh, an illustration of that fail that Sam drew at school that if you haven't seen, not to like toot my own kid's horn, but he, he really did a great pretty, job of illustrating your failure as a mom. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Uh, all right, let's move on to triumphs and fails. Allison, what do you have for us this time? Okay, I have a triumph. I kind of hesitate to tell this story because I've recently learned that some people from my town listen to the show, which is awesome. Uh, but I don't want to offend anyone or get myself in trouble or become an outcast in town. But I feel like if we're doing the show and I had an experience, a parenting experience that I feel compelled to talk about, I probably should. So I'm going to bite the bullet here. Uh, Your outcasthood is inevitable anyway. Yes, so you might as true. well just go for it. Um, so as I've mentioned several times on the show, Harry's really into football. Uh, it's all he thinks about and talks about and plays. And after some consideration, John and I decided – that we would not let him play tackle. So I started looking into flag options in town, and the only flag program is really intense. It's four days a week of practice and one game on the weekend, which seems like a lot to me. Like he's going to go to camp every day until 5 and then have practice four days a week from 6 until 7.30 every night. Uh, And he's about to age out of it. Like next summer he would have to do the tackle program. So like the not busy person that I am or we all are, I decided to try to start a new league. 
Um, This is not like the kind of thing I normally do, so I don't want to like come off as some amazing can-do-it-all martyr mom because I can't and I am not. Uh, No, I I will say at work, you volunteer for stuff a lot, often I think to the detriment of your time. Um, I don't know if that's true. Anyway, no, you you discuss, are you have a can do spirit. Thank you. I have a lot of grit. A lot of grit. Um, so I put notes in various town Facebook groups to gauge interest and talk to the Y about maybe starting a flag program there. And then a father appeared out of the blue. He had seen my note on Facebook and he reached out to me. Uh, saying he too had been thinking of starting a league, so let's join up and do this thing together. And I was totally psyched. We talked on the phone. He had, like, great experience. He had coached NFL flag leagues in the past, and he knew everything about what we'd need to get it started and about the rules, which, I mean, I know none of this stuff. But at one point in that first conversation, after he had said boys league several times, I, like, sort of gingerly expressed my interest in making the league co-ed, and he bristled right away. And frankly, he made me feel dumb, kind of dumb for asking or bringing it up. So I just let it go. But it was sort of nagging at me as we were continuing to plan for this thing. And fast forward a week or so, and we're about to announce this league. And he sends a draft of the announcement to me and to a few other parents who had joined our planning committee. Uh, And the announcement opens with the line, finally, a safe football league for your son. And I just felt kind of sick. And so I replied saying how I really would like to keep this announcement gender neutral. And we got into a whole thing about it over email. It turns now, out that... Remind, our listeners should be reminded, you do not have girls. The no, I don't have girls, girls, but I, I was play. one. It was um, that it's the right thing to do. Yeah, totally. And... You know, it actually turns out that the township who we were going to partner with this on, they can't specify gender. Um, But they told the woman from the township, you know, sort of said to him that you can it can't we can't separate by gender, but you can you can emphasize or not emphasize that girls are allowed to sign up. Um, And he wanted to not emphasize and also wanted to, like, do this call out to our son. So I wrote several pissy emails. No one in this email group agreed with me. But in the end, I guess I just wore them down. So that's my triumph. The announcement went out and was gender neutral. Gender neutral. Uh, The bummer is it turns out that Harry is now too young to play by the rules that these other people decided. So I'm not even doing it. And he'll do the fucking time intensive one after all. But whatever. Uh, At least some girls will get to play flag if they want to. That is a very, very frustrating, frustrating Yes, totally. To a story that I have been uh, following with much interest for several <laughs> weeks now, as Allison yes. has been updating me on it. Uh, as Allison knows, I was 100% behind her on this one. Uh, it's such an easy thing to do that harms no one to make girls feel welcome in this league. Maybe three girls would take you up on it. It would be a like life-changing, life-affirming experience for them. It would not alter or harm any of the boys' experience at all. I hope what happens is that if some girls sign up, they're awesome. It doesn't matter if they're awesome. They can be awesome. They can be not awesome. Who knew if Harry, who knows if Harry will be awesome? But if they are, that would that would be a nice little lesson. That would be, yes. Uh, okay, what do you uh, have? All right. I uh, have a triumph also this week. My triumph is that I am batting 1,000. I have a 100% success rate in my summer pinky swears so far. I saw. Uh, I saw on Facebook. As, <laughs> yes. As you may recall, <laughs> listeners, uh, Allison and I made some important resolutions for the summer. So far, I am perfect on these resolutions. Uh, Harper and I played tennis. That was one resolution to play tennis with my kids, even though I 
Uh, Harper can't even hit a ball. Uh, our whole family went to beautiful Mesa Neck State Park in Virginia, one of the five state parks I've pledged to hit before the summer is through. And I totally got together with neighbors and drank at least two alcoholic beverages. Actually, more than two. Uh, quite a few more than two in the case of this past weekend when I was drowning my sorrows, about which more later. Allison, how are your summer pinky swears going? It's really a shame because summer hasn't started yet, so all of those are <laughs> actually they don't count. I'm sorry to tell you. I'm working on it. I am working on it. All right. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. Let's move on to our first segment. Our family put our dog, Dora, to sleep on Saturday night. Dora was 16 years old. Uh, it was a really, really hard weekend, hence the drinking with neighbors. Uh, and I wanted to talk about it on the show because this is uh, an event that happens in a lot of families' lives. And it's an event that parents and kids uh, I've learned in talking to people about it really remember forever. Uh, when I was a kid, we didn't have pets. My brother and I were both allergic to dogs and cats and everything. Um, and I didn't get any kind of pet really till I was in high school. Uh, and eventually there were cats and dogs in my life who, you know, who suffered ill ends and I was sad about it, but I never had the experience of like being an eight year old or an 11 year old like my kids and having a pet put to sleep. And I definitely had never had the experience of on my own of having a, a pet who had been part of my life for a decade plus uh, coming to the end of that life. And it was a pretty uh, remarkable weekend all around. Um, so there are a couple of things I want to talk about, Allison. I want to get your thoughts on some of the decisions that we made and your thoughts on what kinds of decisions you might make uh, when this situation faces you at some point, because you also have a very old dog, right? Yes, he's 15. Yes, Velvel is the name of your dog. Yes. He's very, very cute. Or at I'm least sorry, he was Dan. In the- I'm sorry about Dora. Thanks. Um, so the, one of the first things we had to figure out uh, was should the kids be there? And we talked to neighbors of ours um, who'd gone through this experience and um, and several of them told us that when they were kids, they uh, their parents had put pets to sleep and they had done it like on the sly or had done it without them around. And they now really regretted that and wished that they had been there. Um in the end, what we did was we asked our kids. We asked them. We told them what the situation was. We told them Dora is really, really sick, and she's getting sicker, and she's not going to get better, and she's in pain and uncomfortable, and um, and the and the vet is we're, the vet is going to put her to sleep. And then Harper, of course, asked, "What does what does it mean, put her to sleep?" And then yeah. I had to like realize, oh yes, I need to just say the vet is going to give her a shot that is going to make her die. Um, and uh, but we asked them, do you we can do this at the vet's office or at home, but we can also do it uh, with you here or not here to see it. And it's up to you what you want. And I was very impressed with my kids. I mean, this is a weird thing to, I guess, brag about, but I was impressed with them because they both like instantly immediately said, oh, I, we want to be with her when this is happening. Were you nervous um, then about that? Like 
I was nervous. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's I, I was pretty sure it was going to be a pretty emotionally charged thing, and I wasn't sure how they would react or if one of them would freak out. Um, and I didn't want, you know, I didn't want to scar them. I also didn't want to make it unpleasant or difficult for Dora. And, you know, I wanted it to be as peaceful for her as possible. But I also felt like, well, definitely now that they've stated that this is what they want, I'm not going to not do that. Like they have said it is important to them to help Dora at this difficult time. And, uh, and so I wanted to honor that. And so that was the first decision was, should they be there? Um, the vet, much to the, I don't know if this is something that all vets would do now or maybe have always done, but the vet would do it at our house and they didn't even charge more for that. I had never um, heard of that, but I, yeah, yeah. I mean, even though I was like the guy on the phone who was like, I know you're going to put my dog to sleep, but how much is it going to cost me? Uh, but it was the same. It's the same price. Um, she came out in her car. Um, she brought all the medicines and stuff. And so we just did it on our living room rug. Like we laid out a sheet. Uh, on our living room rug. And, um, and so another question we had that was a little bit harder stemmed from that question that Harper had, which was, well, what does it mean to put her to sleep? It was hard to sort of think about how to talk about it because it gets into a million different issues. Right. And one thing that I worried about that I'm interested in hearing what you have to say about Allison is there's a sense when you are, choosing to put a pet to sleep that you are giving up on that member of your family in a way that you would probably not do uh, for a member, a human member of your family, or at least not in a way that I'm willing to talk to my eight and 11 year old about. Um, and I worried about stressing to them enough that the humane thing to do with an animal, uh, why this is the humane thing to do with an animal and, and, how to make it clear to them that it's a thing you do out of love, even though it is a kind of like bad thing to do to this animal. Um, how aware so were it, they? Sorry, I'm just going to interrupt for a second. How aware yeah. were they sort of in the, I don't know, however many months leading up to this when Dora started to really fail? How aware were they of that? Like, did they know she was getting really sick and, and uncomfortable? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there was there was a very visible symptom, which is that Dora stopped eating and got like really thin. Um, and so they were there as we would try to feed her and she wouldn't eat it. And, you know, they would sometimes give her uh, like pieces of salami or something. And they would see that, you know, the dog who two months ago was waiting under the table and like climbing up on the table to steal their food when they weren't when they weren't looking was now like not even taking a piece of salami out of their hands. But you weren't, so they were, you weren't go- preparing them and saying like, guys, no, okay. Maybe we should have. And that was one thing I wondered, like, you know, Ali and I were talking a lot about, uh, it looks like this is the end. We should start thinking about how we're going to do this. But we didn't really bring it up with the kids until Friday when I, when I took Dora to the vet in the morning and said to Lyra on the way out, I think this is, I think at this appointment, we're going to talk about, um, when to put Dora to sleep because it just doesn't look like she's getting better. But until then, I had not like broached that at all. And I sort of feel like I should have earlier. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. Uh, I also don't know, like, you know, every family is different in the role that the pet plays in the family and the closeness of the kids with the pet. Our kids are not that close with Velvel, although 
um, whenever we've said anything kind of callous about him, uh, which is like all the time, uh, they pick up on it or Sam especially picks up on it. Um, So I think there is like some sort of awareness of, you know, caring about this animal, even though they don't really give him the time of day. I guess I think it would be I mean, I don't want to like, you know, whatever hindsight is 2020. I guess I think I would probably try to be preparing my kids, which in a way would probably be preparing myself because as callous as we are about Bubble, I do love him. And actually watching you go through this um, on Facebook and in Slack and uh, over email, of course, made me, you know, sort of want to value my pet more than than I probably do. Yeah, I guess it's been I think- an interesting experience because I think you and I both have had very similar feelings about our dogs. You are infamous in certain internet circles <laughs> for a piece you wrote about three years ago about Velvel, in which you revealed that before you had kids, you loved Velvel like crazy and like treated him like a king. Uh, and then like the instant you had kids, it was like a, f- a switch flipped and you basically like no longer gave a shit about him. And people like yelled at you a lot. People still yell at you. I think that you every once in a while it like goes viral and people yell at you again. Yeah. Three years later. But I was really very sympathetic to that piece because it essentially mirrored our feelings about Dora. You know, before we had a human baby, she was our baby. And then after we had a human baby, she was a dog who lived in our house and she was always in the fucking way. Yeah. And we still thought of her as a good dog and our dog. And we liked having her around most of the time. But we also talked about, you know, oh, well, when Dora's gone, things will be a lot easier around here. Um, And so I was very surprised, I think, this weekend how hard I took this and how I just, like, cried all weekend. Um, And I don't know why that is exactly. I mean, obviously, it's – I mean, it's because I'm not a monster, I guess – but also, it does contradict my actual well-thought-out feelings about this dog. Uh, it's about the passage of time. It's, I'm sure, in part, if your kids were there for this, it's watching them sort of be part of and witness something kind of, you know, about the life cycle that is the difficult yeah. part about the life cycle. You know, I also think, like, we have pets for all different reasons, but some of it is to teach lessons to our kids. I mean, there were times when we thought about giving Velvel to John's mom. She lives on a farm. His life would probably be a lot better uh, there. And maybe this is like a horribly selfish decision that we made. But we felt like what a even though like I would love to do that, he'd be happier and we'd be happier. What a terrible lesson to teach our kids that we could just like discard this dog because he's kind of annoying now late in life. Uh, And so we've chosen not to do it. Um, So I do think like I don't know. It's it's wrapped up in a lot of a lot of more difficult conversations to have about humans. And you can sort of filter that through your dog. And that's hard. Yeah. And it's true that I can I know now that this is going to be a thing that we our family will talk about a lot. It's going to come up a lot again in the future when older relatives get sick, when things happen to people we know. Um, I mean, this is going to be like a reference point for them and sort of the way they think about and process death and grief. Do they uh, want another dog? They Well, they've, they've said for years since long before Dora was even sick, they've been looking forward to the next dog. We'll get after Dora, uh, which is to say that their relationship with Dora was, I think, pretty much like your kids with Velva. Like they, they like having Dora around, but neither one of them like 
super bonded with her. Um, and we have told them for years, no, this Dora is the dog you will have. And when Dora is gone, there will not be another dog. Um, I will say I don't. My parents, we never had a dog when I was growing up, but then they got one when, later in life when I, well, I was in high school, I think. And that dog, Arnie, he had a great life because by the yeah. time I was in high school, I wasn't, you know, I didn't take up much of their energy or time. So they could really, you know, love that dog like a dog should be loved. And, and so could I. And then I moved out and that dog was their baby again. You know, they had a they they had one more child still left in the house. And that dog got a ton, a ton of attention until the day he died. Yeah, and I could totally see like I like the morning after Dora was put to sleep, I said to Alia like, "Oh, I sort of get it like if they had like a dog cloning thing where we could take like Dora's toenail and create a new Dora and that new Dora could show up at our house 12 years from today, I would be all in for that." But like at this point in our life, I do not want another dog. Yeah. But but here is the last thing that I want to talk about on this and this was sort of the m- most unexpected aspect of this entire thing. For me, which is I've never had an experience before um, where I have just completely broken down in front of my kids. Like they've seen me cry at sad movies at every Pixar movie. Um, they saw me cry a little bit when we left New York. I was sad, but they were also much younger and like didn't get it at all. Like Harper was two when I cried when we took her from nursery school on the last day in New York. Um, but she like had no sense of what was going on. But now these kids are like cognizant function- functioning human beings. And they really saw their dad, like, lose it this weekend. And that was weird and interesting. And I know that it's a thing that people go through all the time. I, the reason they haven't seen it is that I've been lucky and both my parents are still alive, basically. Yeah. Um, and plenty of people see their parents break down many times. But it was a very unique experience for me. Have, you, have your kids seen that from you? Uh, no, they actually really haven't. And John was like very sort of adamant that I hold it together when we were leaving Brooklyn. I mean, I cried plenty, but I tried not to do it in front of them. Mm. Uh, that being said, I don't know why I did that or listened to him um, because I think it's healthy for them to see that. And especially over something, maybe a move I didn't want to communicate to them that this was a traumatic thing that was happening. But their dog yeah. dying or like you said, a family member dying, that is. That's like, you know – that's a legitimately that's traumatic. That's something thing. to cry about, and it's. <laughs> I think it's fine. I think it's it's actually right for them to see their dad, you know, experience those emotions. So I wouldn't sweat it. All right. Uh, it was quite a weekend. Uh, Dora was a great dog. Um, thank you, Allison, for your nice email uh, the next day. That was very sweet. I'm going to put a picture of Dora up on our fucking Facebook page because it's my Facebook page and I can do that if I want. And all you listeners have to look at it and tell me how cute Dora was. <laughs> put up pictures of your own dogs and let us know how you've, those of you who have gone through this experience, how you've dealt with it with your kids. Yeah. And, you know, I'm also really curious, like those of you who, when you were kids, had this happen, I would really like to know how you remember it, what role that experience has had in your in the rest of your childhood and in your adult life. Like, I'm very, very curious how my kids will remember this. And, and I'd love to hear from uh, listeners who have that in their background. All right, let's move on to our listener call. If you've got a question for us, give us a call at 424-255-7833. That's 424-255-RUDE, like Allison was when she wrote that horrible thing about Velvel. Today's question is from Mark in Massachusetts. Take it away, Mark. I am dad to... Matt, who's 18, Jack, who's 7, and Penelope, who is two weeks today. I had a question that I posted on the Facebook page that was, um, is it all right as a parent to be scary? 
And I was thinking about this because while there are many different parenting types in the past, one thing that's universal about my parents and their cohort was they could be scary. Like you could be scared of your parents and they could do things that like left you a little frightened, not in terms of like abuse, but in terms of their, their wrath, them coming down on you. And that seems to be, again, despite there being a whole variety of different parenting types in my cohort, the one thing that we generally unspoken rule is don't be scary. Don't scare your kids or don't like you don't want to leave them kind of quaking in their boots about you and what you brought down. And is it possible that while obviously you don't want to traumatize your kids, something is lost there and and uh, I obviously don't want to scare my kids at all. I'll try not to. But this doesn't seem like a conversation we've had. And is there something lost when that happens? And if so, what is it? Uh, this is such a great question. I think about this all the time. Allison, I know you do too. We wanted to know more about uh, the research behind this issue uh, and what an actual professional as opposed to a fake professional like us thinks on this. <laughs> so we've got Dr. Robin Berman on the line. Dr. Berman is a professor of psychiatry at UCLA She's the author of Permission to Parent, How to Raise Your Child with Love and Limits. Hello, Dr. Berman. Hi. Thank you for having me, and what a great question. <laughs> yes, it really is. So why do you think that modern parents are afraid to be, quote-unquote, scary? Because I think the parenting pendulum has swung from one extreme to the other. So when I grew up in the 70s and most of us all back in the day when all of us grew up 60s, 70s, even the 80s, children were seen and not heard, go to your room because I said so, and definitely fear was part of parenting. And then in this last decade, and, and correctly so, this new generation wanted to do it differently. They wanted to make their kids' needs more central. They wanted to be safer objects. But I think we've overcorrected for our parents' mistakes and gone the other way. Now where children are ruling the roost, and I've seen parents who are scared of their kids. You know, kids are like, you can't make me, and I'm going to hit you. if you, you know, I've seen kids hit parents. I've seen kids yell at parents. So I don't think either extreme is the answer. I think there's this graceful place in the middle. The, the graceful middle is you want to hold the feelings kids like, oh, I know you don't want to go to bed, honey, but you also want to hold the line, but bedtime's 8 o'clock. So you first it seems like, this. here's my question, though, Dr. Sure, Norman. sure. It seems like the goal then is to, you don't want to be scary in the sense of being like a monster who scares your children, but you do want your children to be somewhat scared of the response that they will have if they, if they misbehave or if they don't listen and to have some sense that there's weight behind the instruction you give them. Beautiful. I think you can have weight behind it without being scary, though, because I think scary is what makes all of our feelings go underground as adults, and everybody who ends up in my practice, I'm a psychiatrist, really psychiatrists are parents. You know, you're reparenting people who didn't get their needs met. So I think being scary, I love what you say, having the weight behind it, because I think we're the generation of parents who cried wolf. You know, if you do that one more time, we're leaving the party. If you do, and then they never leave the frickin' party. Leave the party, right? So the weight can be in a very graceful way. And so I really think having the bar, the, the, I'm going to follow through. You can't threaten and not follow through. You can't have your kids on, kids on a long airplane flight and then say you're going to take away their iPad if you're not going to follow through. You have to make a 
actual consequence that you're going to follow through on. But I think the delivery never has to be scary, but it, it's like a teacher, a teachers of the year who I interviewed for permission to parent said, tone and language, you know, kids respect when you use a high rate, you're not saying that was stupid, you idiot, you know, you're not using that kind of a tone or language as a parent, you're saying, I'm so sorry, we're not going to be able to go to Disneyland. That is really, really helpful. Thank you very much, Dr. Berman. We really appreciate you calling in. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dr. Berman. The book is called Permission to Parent. All right. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit more about this, Allison. Dr. Robin Berman is an expert, but I am nevertheless not 100% convinced that a little bit, like a little hint of fear isn't the worst thing. And I think the reason that I feel that way is because I am like jealous that parents of my parents' generation have that tool in their toolbox. And I and, and my memory of those days of being a kid, and I think my wife's memory of being a kid with her mom, who was sort of famous in the neighborhood for being the mom that everyone was afraid of. Uh, hi, Maggie. I hope you're listening. Um, was that it wasn't that they were scary to deal with on an everyday basis. It was that their authority was so great and the wrath that they could bring down upon you should something really big happen was so immense that you would do anything to avoid that. Define that wrath. That do you know what that wrath was, or was it just the idea that, of that wrath? Like, do you know how there must Maggie have been did real? <laughs> there must have been real. I mean, there must have been examples of her like just really like completely losing it. But maybe, but she's not like a losing it person. I wonder if maybe she just had a better cold fury than I do. Like on the occasions that she has been mad with at me, she's never like really cut loose on me. But like the ice in her voice has been has like sent me off a cliff. And I take it that when you lose it on your kids, because I know that you do, they're not scared of you. No, not. I mean, they'll be scared at the like at, if I shout, they'll be scared of me shouting and that might make them cry. And that <laughs> makes me feel shitty because like it didn't actually do anything. It just scared them. It like startled them into tears. But like that doesn't lead them to not do something later because I might right. shout. I am so conflicted about this. It was a great, great call. And I mean, I believe Dr. Berman's answer. I think the research really does say that like being scary, if your kids are scared of you, they like have a lot of anxiety and they push their feelings down, like she said. And I obviously don't want that. I also, John and I, you know, our main argument in life is about discipline and he he can be scary and wants the kids to be scared of him. And I intellectually actually really want the kids to be somewhat scared of us as well. But when it comes down to performing that, you know, whatever finger in their face really close to their mouth, scary face uh, or grabbing them, I am totally uncomfortable when he does that stuff. And like that's when I usually contradict him in front of them because I freak out because I think he's being too scary. Like it's too much. Yeah. <laughs> it's too much. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we should just say like we're drawing a line here. Like obviously neither of us, none of us are OK with uh, scary to the point of any kind of physical or verbal abuse. But sometimes I'm a little bit confused about what that line is with, with verbal. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't have a good answer because, yes, Mark, our original caller, I do think it would be great in my family if our kids were a little bit scared of us and then therefore listen to us. But I am not comfortable with what it seems like the ways to make yourself scary are. The re and one of the reasons I want it is not even necessarily so that they'll like they'll clean their room this afternoon when I tell them to clean their room. It's that especially – 
for Alia, for my wife, with Maggie growing up, she had this like lodestar in her head for behavior. She always had Maggie's voice when like not in really in, even in like an intimidating way, but she had this sense of what was right and wrong. And it was very based on what would my mom think about this thing. And that is what I want. And I think that really was based on and and I know that like all the kids in the neighborhood had this for Maggie Smith. Like what would Maggie Smith think about this thing? Uh, and like it sort of created in many ways, I think, the moral sense for all the children of Akakeek, Maryland in the 1980s. And that seems really valuable to me. And that's a thing that I struggle with worrying that my kids have, that they don't have that adult voice in their head, which serves as a voice of caution and of reason and also of warning to like not do something stupid or, or awful that is going to hurt someone else. Because if you do, eventually – Dan is going to hear about it and Dan will like bring down the fury of God on you. I think we should do, we should have a future show. We should have Maggie on and a couple of other like of her generation's parents and have some sort of like how they did it then conversation. Because I want to hear Maggie's thoughts on this. I I would listen to that show in a heartbeat. (laughs) I hope I have the chance to. We could make it. (laughs) Oh my God, what? Okay, that's a good idea. Let's do that. All right. uh, Thank you very much for that call, Mark. That was a really great question. Super interesting. If you have a really great question you want to ask us, call us, 424-255-7833. Last month, we had a very special Mother's Day segment during which several Slate staffers shared great stories about their moms on the show. And a few years back, we had our own moms call in for a really amazing episode. This was, I think, probably my favorite episode ever. Dan, yours too? Uh, Yeah. Our moms are pretty amazing. Yeah. But what about the dads? We have, up until now, done a pretty shit job of honoring you, fathers and stepfathers and father figures in our lives. And that ends today. Well, every day I honor you, Dan. Uh, Several Slate staffers are going to join us with their dad tales. And then in Slate Plus, Dan and I will share our own. First up is Mallory Ortberg, a.k.a. Dear Prudy, Slate's advice columnist. Hey, Mallory. Hi, guys. So tell us a good story about your dad. My My own dad story. Uh, is also a little bit of a me story because when my dad, when, when we were growing up, my dad would always like offer us like five dollars if we could name all the presidents in a row or you know, like list facts about Tippecanoe or, or what have you. He was that kind of a guy. And when I was sixteen, we lived in Chicago, and the Chicago Tribune every Fourth of July would reprint the entirety of the Declaration of Independence on the like back page. Um, and we were all sitting at breakfast, and he suddenly flings the newspaper down at us, and he says, $50, so whichever one of you can memorize this by the end of the day. Um, <laughs> and I just took it, and I spent the entire 4th of July. I missed everything. I missed the barbecue. I missed fireworks. I went upstairs, and I was in my parents' bathroom writing it out over and over again. I eventually ran out of regular paper and had to use construction paper and kept writing it out until I had it all memorized. And then at, like, 1030 that night, I stood in front of my parents, and I recited it the best of my ability and I got the fifty dollars and it was incredible. I don't remember what I bought. But <laughs> and then you invested it like your dad told you to and you oh my to my house. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, that okay, a that's a good dad story. Fantastic story. That's amazing. Thanks, Mallory. Happy Father's Day. Anytime. Happy to help. <laughs> All right, next up down here in D.C., we have Efim Shapiro, who is a brand new producer at Panoply. Hello, Efim. Hi, how you doing, Dan? Good. So uh, tell us a lovely story about your father, please, or a father, okay. or maybe your father. This this has to do with a stepdad and my 
biological father. Um, Ooh, so it's a dad's story. It's a dad's story, and they've they've both become my my dad in the end, even though it wasn't that way at first. So I didn't really have any memories of my dad for most of my life because my mom and I left the country in which I was born, which is Israel, when I was four years old, and my dad did not. He stayed behind. They got a divorce. My mom and I moved away, and my entire childhood, I wondered about him. And in the meantime, my mom remarried, so now my stepdad is in the picture, and we didn't get along at all. Um, and so I just always dreamed about who this man that my dad is. What, what kind of guy is he? What does he like to do? And um, when I was about 30, I get this Facebook message from a girl or a woman who's got my same last name. And the message is just like this. Is your mom Elena? Yes. And she goes, uh, is your dad's name Mark? And I said, okay, you've got my attention now. What's going on? <laughs> uh, and she said, well... Your dad is here, and uh, he he's ready to talk to you. And uh, I'm your sister. And and by the way, I, I have three other siblings out here who who know all about you and are are ready to meet you. So so let me just give you your dad's phone number. You can call him. And she gave me his phone number, and I just kind of stared at this number for hours before I finally picked up the phone, and I called him, and he answered the phone. Hello. And I said, hey, Pop. And he said, his first words to me, he said, oh, thank God we're talking right now. And that week, he booked a flight to come uh, to visit us. He, and, and a month later, he, he showed up. I met him at the airport. And we just sort of stood there face to face. He's exactly my height. <laughs> uh, and we just stood there staring at each other for a good 30 seconds or a minute without any words we just stared at each other and and people were sort of gathering around just kind of watching us like what's going on um you know and i gave him a big hug and it was kind of an awkward ride home but over the years he he kept visiting you know and and then uh he bought me a ticket to to israel so i could go and meet my brothers and sisters and we're all friends now you know we know about each other and we know stories about each other and, and, and we talk about each other's kids and, and we, and my younger brother, uh, and I are really tight. Like we're actually tight. Like brothers are tight, even though I didn't know him until he was 18. It, it's a really beautiful thing. And in the meantime, my stepfather, who I, I kind of hated a lot for a long time and I thought he hated me, but then something changed and I saw him as a human being, I saw him as a man uh, with struggles and with conflicts uh, and with imperfections and with amazing qualities, which I refused to see early on in life. And what happens now is that I take the things that I can from my stepdad to uh, enrich my own life, and I take the things from from my biological dad that enrich my own life and inform my experience and my perception of who I am. And so I'm moving forward with a good relationship with both my stepfather and my dad in a way that I never could have even dreamed was possible, uh, but now is really kind of a lucky reality for me.
Yeah, which, that's amazing to have gone from zero dads to two. Yeah. When you had no sense that that would necessarily happen to you. I had no idea. Yeah. That is a really beautiful story that no one is going to be able to top today. Yep. <laughs> Good job. You win. You <laughs> win, Ephim. Thank you. All right. Thank, thank you, Ephim Shapiro. Sharing. Okay. Next up is Aisha Harris, uh, one of Slate's great culture writers. Hey. Hi. Tell us your dad's story. Sure. Um, so my one of the fondest uh, memories that I have uh, of my father is when I was about six years old, I um, was tasked by our school principal to give a speech at it was either Black History Month or MLK Day. I don't remember which. It was sometime in January, February. It was okay. cold. <laughs> um, and uh, my principal wanted me to give a speech in front of the entire uh, school at the assembly. Um, and being six years old, it was kind of terrifying. Um, I think there were probably like 200 to 300 kids in our school. So it was like pretty big for That's elementary intense school. for a six-year-old. I know. Were you a child genius or the only <laughs> really? kid in the school? My kid would or make like, fart noises the... and walk off the stage. <laughs> um, like what was the reasoning behind asking you to do this? I, I, well, my principal really liked me. Like she actually uh-huh. helped – um, this is going to sound sort of like bragging, but like my, when I was five, I went to kindergarten like most five-year-olds do. Um, but my teacher, uh, my kindergarten teacher like saw some like promise in me and thought that I was too advanced for kindergarten. And so she and the principal worked together and I basically did like two months of kindergarten and then was pushed up to uh, first grade in the Jeez. middle. So, um, yeah, that was it's like It's okay my... to brag about five-year-old evil. <laughs> <clears throat> that was probably like my peak your high moment, point, yeah. moment of genius. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so you were supposed to give this speech. Yeah. There were hundreds of people there. Exactly. Yeah, so there are hundreds of people there. There are also obviously like parents there. And so my dad was like, great, you're going to give a speech. And so my dad's also a writer and like a speaker. So he basically helped me. Well, he I wrote the speech, but like he helped like finesse it or whatever. And then he also was like, you can't just read the speech. You have to memorize it. And so <laughs> it was a little like, I, I don't know, maybe tiger parenting, but I appreciate it. Uh, I remember him like spending, it felt like hours. It probably was like a couple hours like before the assembly going through it and like teaching me how to memorize it. And then also like how to speak like with like emotion. And like when you get to this part, you have to make sure that like you, 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 you know, give all like get really excited about this part um i remember oh it was also like a sort of book report um it was a piece about uh, it was right around the time that the american girl doll Addie had first been released i think and so uh my my um report was about Addie, and uh i remember him just like going over it with me for hours on end and then i gave the speech and the speech went really well i think i like there's one like small chunk of the speech that i like skipped but like i didn't notice i had skipped it my dad did <laughs> but he was like <laughs> doesn't matter it was great you were great um so yeah i because of him because of his help like he like helped me become a more confident speaker and then helped me become a more confident writer um and afterwards i remember like my gift was like this like bugs bunny puppet uh, and then we went to Pizza Hut, and that was exciting. Uh, 
Sounds I like love your day. very specific details yes. of the story. <laughs> I remember. And I also so love well. Aisha that you are now the second of three people whose dad's story revolves around their dad making them memorize something. Yeah, it's true. That's really weird. Dads love memorization. memorization. Yeah, they really yep. do. But yeah, I mean, I think to this day, like we we've I, I can't remember what when we talked about we talked about it recently together. He was like, I'm really proud of you. And I was like, Oh yeah, I remember you like making me memorize a speech and it was very like helpful for me in my adulthood. So that was Did he demand on the spot that you recite it again? And <laughs> you didn't have it memorized anymore? Thankfully no. Yeah. Uh, All right, thank you, Aisha. Thanks, thank Aisha. You. Next up we have Katie Waldman. She is Slate's words correspondent. Hello, Katie. Hello. Please tell us an endearing story about your father. Okay. Well, this is not a specific story, but my dad is a really good tennis player, um, and he's been very patient with his not very athletic daughter. And he's really good, so he can hit the ball exactly uh, where it should be to make you feel like you're playing really well, um, like the perfect pace and like right in the sweet spot of your racket. And then he also can basically return any ball that you hit at him and so no matter how widely it sprays across the court right right. so he's going back and forth making it all look very easy and over time i have come to see my dad's style of playing tennis with his daughters i have a sister um as a metaphor for the way he parents patiently absorbing whatever dumb crap we hit his way and sending back the perfect response with understated skill and grace i actually wrote that down because i wanted to (laughs) say it correctly um that's lovely i was gonna Uh, say that was amazingly eloquent to come yeah. Well, so I, I admire that uh, that in two ways. Like one is that it is I do believe that it reflects sort of his entire parenting philosophy that he believes it is his goal to sort of keep feeding things to you that will help you get better, but also feel good at the same time. But also I admire a guy who can play tennis for that long and just not want to like win. He never once wanted to just like put it away. He totally could have put it away. Oh, totally. Yeah. Well, and, yeah, a really did. good player also to be able to do that, right? Like a not good player can't oh, yeah. actually control the ball like that. Right. Oh, yeah. So no, he doesn't he's need to an be amazing tennis he's probably player. beating much better players. No offense. <laughs> yeah, I think it probably wouldn't be like so much pride points for him to defeat his daughter. But still, yeah. Go, uh, Dad. All right. Thanks, Katie. That's sure. great. Thanks, Katie. All right. Next up, we have Julia Turner, editor-in-chief of Slate.com. Hi, Julia. Hi, Dan. Hi, Allison. Hi. So we are pulling Slatesters for one lovely story about their dad. Please tell us yours. Uh, I'm so excited to talk about my dad on the show because he's like a wonderful grounding force in my life. But his dadliness is hard to reduce to anecdotes. I was thinking about this on the way in. Like his his primary quality is his steadiness and his even-keeledness. So the thing I will explain about my dad is that my dad – is amazing at packing the car. And I remember this as like a family <laughs> ritual of childhood. That we would like have all the boxes and bags and beach chairs of wherever we were going to, uh, you know, for like a week in the summer. And it would always be my dad's project that morning to like methodically put everything in the right way and align the fishing poles so they weren't going to poke us and, you know, re- take everything out the way we'd carelessly put it in and make this little origami puzzle box so everything could fit in the back of the station wagon. And it just always worked. And I think about this as like one of the key qualities of my dad because he's the sort of person who's utterly dependable. You know, he's going to do the thing he says he's going to do. He's like ingenious thanks to his patience. Like he does not get frustrated and cram everything. Throw the beach chairs. No, he'll like, 
if you bring him something broken that you're like slamming and jamming and trying to like fix, yeah. he'll like put it down, look at it carefully, like disassemble it, understand how its component parts work, look up the thing, go to the store to get the right screw. You know, he's just like patient. He's patient. He's methodical. He's thoughtful. And uh, he's utterly steady. And he's also like hilarious and a great dancer and fun and smart and interested in the world. But as I think about being a parent and the kind of like foundation I want to provide my children with, just that bedrock, the like utter steadiness of, of being that kind of person, which for some reason I'm encapsulating in the story of packing the car today, even though it seems like a poor metaphor in some ways, but it, just that faith of like he will get the thing done. He will do it in the right way. He will do the thing that seems hard and that makes you frustrated and he'll just do it is like a model I hope to follow. That's very inspiring because though I do not know that I am actually the bedrock that my children need, I am really fucking good at packing the car. (laughs) (laughs) Who packs the car in your family? Um, We don't – we have yet to – we have a minivan, so our car can just fit everything. Right. Right. That's what we've also – that's what we've done too. Like let's not actually – neither of us are good at this. Let's just get the bigger car. Uh, I think probably my 3D spatial – I think it might be me on that point, but – Ben, my husband, is is probably the more patient and even keel of ways. the two of us. Uh, <laughs> like I think when my children are telling a story like this to to whatever podcasts are in 30 years, they'll probably be telling it about him and not me. But I'm pretty good at, at the trunk. So I'm not sure, Dan, if your trunk skills really qualify in this regard. But um, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and run with it. Thank you, Julia. <laughs> Thanks, Julia. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks to everyone at Slate who told us such great dad stories. Listen to our Slate Plus segment for Allison's and my great dad stories and tell us your great dad stories on our Facebook page. Uh, We want to hear the thing you remember the most about your dad so that I, a dad, can steal it and do it with my kids and they'll think I'm amazing. All right. Let's move on. Uh, All right. Recommendations. I... I'm recommending a really, really great comics series, which I think would be surprise, uh, surprise. Shut up, Allison. <laughs> uh, we can't all recommend garbage can football. Okay, um, it is a comic series for teens or late tweens. Uh, it's called Paper Girls. It's by Brian Vaughn and Cliff Chang. You may know Brian Vaughn if you are like a genre TV series because he wrote many episodes of Lost and was a show uh, like a executive producer on that show for a while. He also wrote really great comic series, Why the Last Man and Saga. This series, Paper Girls, is set in a small town in Ohio in 1988. Ah, there's like an alien invasion and time travel and stuff. But what is sort of the most like fantastical, surprising thing about it, at least in the dude-heavy comics world, is that it is all about the friendship and adventures of four 12-year-old girls. Uh, Laura Hudson wrote a really great review of the series for the Slate Book Review. I'm going to link to that uh, on our Facebook page, and I'll link to where you can check the series out. It's called Paper Girls. It's really, 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 really good, and also, I think, a tiny bit revolutionary in comics. That sounds great, actually. I'm sorry to make fun of you, but that does sound... Too late. Really good. Uh, okay, what, so we what bullshit thing do you have to recommend? <laughs> I also have a book, um, not a comic though. We've been reading the Westing Game, which I had never read growing up. This is not my recommendation. <gasps> I hadn't read it. This isn't my recommendation. Don't get excited. Oh. Uh, okay. But I heard Julia and maybe you. I thought Dana Stevens. I don't know. Talking about it on, I thought the Culture Gap Fest, and I was very excited. I couldn't wait to buy it. Sounded great. And it is very good, but I think maybe a little complex for my kids at this age, especially Sam, but even Harry. Maybe he's not too young for it, but he's not. He likes it. He wants to keep reading it, but I don't 
think he's really getting everything, um, which is fine. Like we read books all the time that he doesn't get get everything. But for some reason, this one seems a little bit tougher than others that we've read. And Sam seems so lost and bored that I've started doing 15 minutes of the Westing game and then 15 minutes of a book of his choosing. And he chose some random, to me, chapter book that's been sitting on our shelf for who knows how long. Uh, called Shivers, The Pirate Who's Afraid of Everything by Annabeth Bondor Stone and Connor White. I think actually this is given to me by our long ago uh, former producer, Chris Wade, who is in this like kids improv group called Story Pirates. And I think his friend wrote this book. Anyway, I never read it. Um, I'm sorry, Chris, if I told you that I did. But now we've been reading it and it's actually like just a perfect palate cleanser or dessert or whatever kind of meal metaphor for reading um, you want for after reading the kind of difficult Westing game. It's just silly and fun and easy. And I'm a sucker for a story about a kid um, or in this case, a kid pirate overcoming his fears in a relatable way. So that's my recommendation. Shivers, the pirate who's afraid of everything. It's really a fun chapter book for, I'd say, a five-year-old who's sick of always having to listen to his big brother's books. Uh, That looks really good. And also... If he doesn't like the Westing game, he should stop reading the Westing game to him. Like, yeah. don't make him sit through 15 minutes. <laughs> no, I'm minutes not. Of a book he hates. Sa- wait, Sam or Harry, you mean? I mean, Sam doesn't like would... it because he's just too right. little. Right. Harry... So, like, wait and read it to him later. Well, but I'm reading it to we Harry. We keep reading it to Harry. That's fine. So, like, well, we uh, do it together. They don't split up. I just don't want you to ruin the greatest book ever written for really? Sam. Really? The problem. greatest yes. book? I don't know. We're halfway it through it, and I can't kind of feel favorite book, on it. My the my favorite book of all time. How old were you, do you think, when you read it? Or how old were your girls? Uh, Lyra read it when she was like eight. Um, I was probably eight. Yeah. It came out when I was, it came out when I was eight. It came out in 1982. And I think I read it shortly after that. It's just not clicking for us. All right. I'm sorry that you guys are so uncultured. (laughs) That's our show. Visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting or send us an email at mom and dad at slate.com. Tell us what kinds of topics you want us to cover what kinds of guests we should interview and on the facebook page tell us how we should make our facebook page better what do you want out of it mom and dad are fighting as part of the panoply network see all our shows at itunes.com slash panoply thanks very much to our producer ann hepperman thanks so much to all our guests mallory ortberg efim shapiro julia turner aisha harris katie waldman and dr robin berman thanks to steve lichtai the executive producer of slate podcast and to andy bowers the big kahuna of panoply thank you allison thanks dan Thanks for listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.